Chapter 16 of the History of Miss Betsy Thoughtless, Volume 1 by Eliza Haywood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joyce Martin. Presents the reader with the name and character of Miss Betsy's third lover and also with some other particulars. Though Lady Mellison had seemed to blame Miss Betsy for not having communicated to Mr. Goodman what her brother wrote to her in relation to Mr. Trueworth, yet in her heart she was far from being adverse to her receiving a plurality of lovers, because whenever that young lady should fix her choice, there was a possibility some one or other of those she rejected might transmit his addresses to her daughter, who she was extremely desirous of getting married and had never yet been once solicited on honourable terms. She therefore told her husband that he ought not to hinder Miss Betsy from hearing what every gentleman had to offer, to the end she might accept that which had the prospect of most advantage to her. Mr. Goodman in this, as in everything else, suffered himself to be directed by her judgment, and the next morning when Miss Betsy came down talked to her with his usual pleasantry. "'Well,' said he, "'have you forgiven my ill-humour last night? "'I was a little vexed to think my friend Staple "'had so poor a chance for gaining you, "'and the more so because Frank Thoughtless will take it ill of me "'if I have done anything in opposition to the person he recommends. "'But you must act as you please. "'For my part, I shall not meddle any further in these affairs.' "'Sir,' replied Miss Betsy, very gravely, "'I shall always be thankful to my friends for their advice, "'and whenever I think seriously of a husband "'shall not fail to interest yours in my choice. "'But,' continued she, "'one would imagine my brother, by writing so pressingly to you, "'wanted to hurry me into a marriage whether I would or no, "'and though I have as much regard for him as a sister can or ought to have, "'yet—' I shall never be prevailed upon by him to enter into a state to which, at present, I have rather an aversion than inclination. That is, said Mr. Goodman, you rather have an aversion than an inclination to the persons who address you on that score. No, sir, answered she, not at all. The persons and behavior both of Mr. Trueworth and Mr. Staple appear to me to be unexcusable, but sure one may allow a man to have merit and be pleased with his conversation without desiring to be tacked to him for ever. I very believe I shall never be in love, but, if I am, it must be a long length of time, and a series of persevering attitudes must make me so. Mr. Goodman told her these were only romantic notions, which he doubted not, but a little time would cure her of. What reply Miss Betsy would have made is uncertain for the discourse was interrupted by a footman delivering a letter to her in which she found these lines. To Miss Betsy Thoughtless Fair creature, I am no courtier, no beau. I have hitherto had but little communication with your sex. But I am honest and sincere, and you may depend on the truth of what I say. I have, heaven be praised, acquired a very large fortune, and for some time have had thoughts of marrying, to the end I might have a son to enjoy the fruits of my labors, after I am food either for the fishes or the worms. It is no great matter which of them. Now I have been wished to several fine women, but my fancy gives the preference to you, and if you can like me as well, we shall be very happy together. I spoke to your guardian yesterday, for I love to be above board, 
but he seemed to lure, or, as we say at sea, to be a little hazy on the matter, so I thought I would not trouble him any further, but write directly to you. I hear there are two about you, but what of that? I have doubled the Cape of Good Hope many a time, and never failed of reaching my intended port. I, therefore, see no cause why I should apprehend a wreck by land. I am turned of eight and forty, tis true, which maybe you may think too old. But I must tell you, dear pretty one, that I have a constitution that will wear out twenty of your washy-pampered landmen of not half my age. Whatever your fortune is, I will settle accordingly, and moreover will secure you something handsome to you at my decease, in case you should chance to be the longest liver. I know you young women do not care a man should have anything under your hand, so expect no answer, but desire you will consider on my proposals, and let me know your mind this evening at five o'clock, when I shall come to Mr. Goodman's. Let him take it how he will. I can weather out any storm to come at you, and fiercely am, dear soul, your most faithful and affectionate lover, J. Hysom. There were some passages in this letter that set Miss Betsy into such immoderate fits of laughter as made her a long time in going through it. Having finished the whole, she turned to Mr. Goodman, and putting it into his hands, "'Be pleased, sir, to read that,' said she. "'You shall own, at least, that I do not make a secret of all my lovers to you.' Mr. Goodman soon looked it over, and after returning it to her, "'How troublesome a thing it is,' said he, "'to be the guardian to a beautiful young lady. "'Whether I grant or whether I refuse the consent required of me, "'I equally gain ill-will from one side or the other.' Lady Mellison, who had all this morning complained of a violent headache, and said nothing during this conversation, now cried out, "'What new conquest is this Miss Betsy has made?' "'Oh, madam,' replied Miss Betsy, "'your ladyship shall judge of the value of it by the doughty epistle I have just received.' With these words she gave the letter to Miss Flora, deferring her to read it aloud, which she did but was obliged, as Miss Betsy herself had done, to stop several times and hold her sides before she got to the conclusion. And Lady Mellison, as little as she was inclined to mirth, could not forbear smiling to hear the manner in which this declaration of love was penned. "'You are all very merry,' said Mr. Goodman, "'but I can tell you, Captain Hysom, is a match that many a fine young lady in this town would jump at. He has been twenty-five years in the service of the East India Company.' has made very successful voyages, and is immensely rich. He has lived at sea, indeed, the greatest part of his life, and much politeness cannot be expected from him. But he is a very honest and good-natured man, and I believe means well. I wish he had offered himself to Flora. Perhaps, sir, I should not have refused him, replied she briskly. I should like a husband prodigiously that would be abroad for the whole years together, and leave me to bowl about on my couch and fix while he ploughed the ocean in search of new creatures to throw into my lap at his return. Well, well, said Miss Betsy, laughing still more, who knows, but when I have teased him a little, he may fly for shelter to your more clement goodness. Aye, aye, cried Mr. Goodman, you are a couple of madcaps indeed, and I suppose between you both, the captain will be finally managed. But no matter, I shall not pity him, as I partly told him what he might expect. After this Mr. Goodman went out, and the young ladies went up to dress against dinner, diverting themselves all the time with the poor captain's letter. 
Miss Betsy told Miss Flora that as he was for coming so directly to the point, she must use all her artifice in order to keep him in suspense. For, said she, if I should let him know any part of my real sentiments concerning him, he would be gone at once, and we should lose all our sport. I will, therefore, continued she, make him believe that I dare not openly encourage his pretensions, because my brother hath recommended one gentleman to me, and Mr. Goodman another, but shall assure him at the same time that I am inclined to neither of them, and shall contrive to get rid of them both as soon as possible. This, said she, will keep them in hopes, without my downright promising anything in his particular favor. Miss Flora told her she was a perfect Machiavelli in love affairs, and was about to say something more when a confused sound of several voices, among which she distinguished that of Lady Mellison very loud, made her run downstairs to see what was the occasion. But Miss Betsy stayed in the chamber, being busily employed in something belonging to her dress, or, had she been less engaged, it is not probable she would have troubled herself about the matter, as she supposed it only a quarrel between Lady Mellison and some of the servants, as in effect it was, and she, without asking, was immediately informed. Nanny, the upper housemaid, and the same who had delivered Mr. Savage's letter to Miss Betsy, and carried her answer to him, coming up with a broom in her hand, in order to sweep her lady's dressing-room, ran into the chamber of Miss Betsy, and seeing that she was alone, "'Oh, miss,' said she, "'there is the devil to do below.' "'I heard a sad noise, indeed,' said she carelessly. "'Well, you must know, miss,' cried the maid, "'that my lady hath given John the butler warning, "'and so his time being up, Mrs. Prinks hath orders to pay him off this morning.' but would have stopped thirty shillings for a silver orange strainer that is missing. John would not allow it, and being in a passion, he told Miss Prinks that he would not leave the house without his full wages, that for anything he knew the strainer might be gone after the diamond necklace. This, I suppose, she repeated to my lady, and that put her in so ill a humor this morning, that if my master had not come down as he did, we should all have something at our heads. However, continued the wench, she ordered Mrs. Prinks to give him his whole money. But would you believe it, miss? My master was no sooner gone out than she came down into the kitchen, raving and finding John there still. The poor fellow, God knows, only stayed to take his leave of us. She tore about and swore we should all go, accused one of one thing and another of another. Well, but what did the fellow mean about the diamond necklace? cried Miss Betsy, interrupting her. I will tell you the whole story, said she, but you must promise never to speak a word of it to anybody, for though I do not value the place, nor will I stay much longer, yet they would not give one a character, you know, miss. Miss Betsy, then having assured her she would never mention it, the others shut the door and went on in a very low voice in this manner. Don't you remember, miss, said she, what a flurry my lady and Mrs. Prinks were in one day? how her ladyship pulled off all her fine clothes, and they both went out in a hackney coach. Then Mrs. Prinks came home and went out again. Yes, replied Miss Betsy. I took notice they were both in a good deal of confusion. Aye, miss, well, they might, said Nanny. That very afternoon John was gone to see a cousin that keeps a pawnbroker's shop in Thieving Lane, 
and as he was sitting in a little room behind the counter that it seemed shuts in with glass doors who should he see through the window but mrs prinks come in she brought my lady's diamond necklace and pledged it for a hundred and twenty or a hundred and thirty guineas i am not sure which he told me for i have the saddest memory but it is no matter for that john was strangely confounded as you may think but resolved to see into the bottom and when mrs prinks was got into the coach popped up behind it and got down when it stopped which was at the sign of the hand and tip staff at knave's acre so that this money was raised to get somebody that was arrested out of the bailiff's hands for john said it was what they call a sponging house that mrs prinks went into lord how deceitful some people are my poor master little thinks how his money goes but i'll warrant our housekeeping must suffer for this this galloping young huffy would have run on much longer doubtless with her comments on this affair but hearing Miss Flora's foot upon the stairs, she left off, and opening the door, softly slipped into her lady's dressing-room and fell to work in cleaning it. Miss Flora came up, exclaiming on the ill behavior of most servants, telling Miss Betsy what a passion her mamma had been in. The other made little answer to what she said on that or any other score, having her thoughts very much taken up with the account just given her by Nanny. She recollected that Lady Mellison had never dressed since that day, always making some excuse to avoid paying any grand visits, which she now doubted not, but it was because she had not her necklace. It very much amazed her, as she well knew her ladyship was not without a good deal of ready cash, therefore it was certain the sum must be large indeed, for which her friend was arrested, that it reduced her to the necessity of applying to a pawnbroker, and who that friend could be for whom she would thus demean herself puzzled her extremely it was not long however before she was led into the secret but in the meantime other matters of more moment must be treated on end of chapter sixteen reading by joyce martin